right at the start, I have not had exactly the best week, uh, or two weeks actually. I've had the privilege of being in Bullhead City, Arizona, and if you're just curious, because I like maps, uh, it's right in between nowhere, Arizona, and what in the world are you doing here in Arizona, and then right in the middle is, is Bullhead, average temperature like 100,000 degrees, like 115. I went for a walk one day, and that was a mistake. Uh, midway through, I was like, what am I doing out here? I am going to burn to death. Anyway, so it was right across the river from Laughlin, Nevada. No, I wasn't there to gamble or get a suntan. I know it's hard to tell. Um, I was there because I was taking care of my father's estate. Um, he passed away in December, as some of you know, and it, it's hard, okay? Some of us don't have exactly the best fathers, and when we read in the scripture that we're called to honor father and mother, we sometimes look for a loophole in that because sometimes our parents weren't honorable. But I still feel like I'm honoring my father in heaven by honoring my earthly father. And uh, it was a privilege. It was hard. Uh, Chris, you, your text messages really blessed me because there were some times where I wanted to take matters into my own hands. Uh, in fact, while I was there, uh, I got schooled <laughs> in Arizona state law. Uh, wasn't expecting that education, uh, but I came to realize that what you don't know can become a real issue, especially if you don't have all of the information. Uh, I was convinced I was doing the right thing, and then a, uh, a lesson, uh, a local uh, Arizona constable informed me I wasn't. <laughs> I'll let you just kind of ma map that out in your head. Did Chris break the law a couple times? Um, not on purpose. And so he informed me, schooled me in Arizona state law, and then I got to introduce him to Jesus. And we had a wonderful relationship after that. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was a cool guy. But we're going to see this morning what you don't know can hurt you at times. And uh, we're going to see the power of the Holy Spirit move. And I, and I need to preface this message with a couple of things. One, we need to, we need to know the substance of our faith. We need to understand what we believe and why we believe it. And we need to understand that we are filled with, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. But we also need to recognize that there are a lot of distortions of teaching today that teach on the Holy Spirit, and they're going to use chapter 19. And I'm going to go out of my way to show you what the scriptures actually teach and what's actually happening in the text. So when you are confronted with some of the charismania that is taking place in our culture today, you will understand what the truth is, and you'll understand how to, con not necessarily combat it, but in kindness, be able to say that's not how God operates or moves. So with that, uh, we've opened our Bibles, ever say word, Acts 19. <clears throat> we're first going to be introduced to 12 guys who believed in God, but they needed to get schooled in the truth. They thought they were doing the right thing, thought they had all the information. They came to realize there was a lot they didn't know, so Paul's going to take them to school. But first we get a, a context, a setting for chapter 19, verse 1. It says, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth. So you guys all remember Apollo Creed from a couple of weeks ago? Who was Apollos? Give me some, some adjectives to describe him. What's that? What would you say? Okay, he was Greek. He was named after a Greek god. Very good. He was from the city of Alexandria, which was the great city of, of the rhetoricians and the, the speakers and the, the lot of uh, uh, academia. It was the center of the greatest library uh, in ancient times. He was eloquent. He was gifted. 
But he only had part of the story. As you'll remember, he only knew up to John's baptism. He knew nothing of Jesus' actual teaching or Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, or the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And so Apollos got schooled by Ananias and Sapphira, who filled in the rest of the story for him. And then he made his way to Corinth to pick up where Paul left off. And then Paul came through the inland country and came to the city of Ephesus where he found some disciples. And so guess what I'm about to show you? A map. I love maps. I'm a map, I'm a map, I'm a map. Okay, so Paul uh, travels from Antioch. So this is the Inland Valley region. Okay, so this is lower uh, Asia Minor of the time. This is present-day Turkey, by the way, just for your own just kind of geographic setting. So Paul comes through, visits some of the churches that he had planted, and he makes his way to Ephesus while Apollos goes to Corinth. So Apollos is at Corinth. He is discipling and training, and Paul is now in the city of Ephesus, and he encounters 12 guys. In fact, the scriptures tells us that he found, there he found some disciples that he went looking for, and he found a group of guys who were claiming to be disciples. But he recognized very clearly, we're not sure how it came about, but through talking with them, came to realize that they didn't have all the information. In fact, a quick ID check came to reveal that They weren't spirit-filled. They didn't even know of the Holy Spirit, and they didn't know who Jesus was. In fact, look at the text. It says, verse 2, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, for some of us, we may be sitting here and going, well, how important is that to receive the Holy Spirit? And I'm going to stress it's essential. If you do not have the Holy Spirit of God in you, you are not of God. In fact, Romans chapter 8 Verse 9 tells us that anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. So I'd say this is a pretty important question. And so I'll I'll have people that will tell me, yes, I believe in God. And my immediate question is, well, do you have the Holy Spirit? It was like when I was at the casino, they had these signs that said, unless you're, if you're not 21, you can't be in here. And all they'd have to do is walk up and check your ID, which they didn't do with me because apparently I look like I'm over 21. But if you didn't look like you're over 21, they would come and they would ask you, For your ID check. Well, the ID check as a believer, do you have the Holy Spirit? And listen how the guys respond. No, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And so these disciples had only part of the story. In fact, we're going to come to discover what they knew was of John the Baptist. But they didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. In fact, if you read it in the Greek, it reads, not only do we not have the Holy Spirit, we don't even know what that is. And so in verse 3, Paul said to them, well, then into what were you baptized? That's kind of hard to say. Into what then were you baptized? And so as he's talking to them, it came came to the surface that they had been baptized. So they had gone through some religious experience, but they didn't even know the Holy Spirit. And so Paul's like, well, who were you baptized into? And their response is into John's baptism. Who is John? Who's John being referenced here? John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. In fact, he's one of the more kind of enigmatic people of the scriptures. We read about him in all four Gospels. And there was a great ministry that John the Baptist undertook. In fact, the scriptures tell us that he came in the power and the spirit of Elijah the prophet. He came to prepare the way for the one who was to come. Who was the one who was to come? So these disciples knew of John the Baptist. They had heard of his baptism of repentance. They had gone out to the Jordan and been baptized. But somewhere between the start of John's ministry and the advent or the revelation of Christ, his revealed ministry on earth, they they took off. 
So all they had was John's baptism and this reality that there was one to come, but they didn't know who that one was. And so in the text it says, Paul said, John baptized uh, with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That one is Jesus. And so somewhere between verse 4 and verse 5, Paul lays out the gospel, lays out the, the full teaching of Christ, lays out the reality that he is the Messiah, he is the fulfilling a fulfillment of the Messiah of Israel, he's the Savior of the world, he tells them about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he, talk, he told them about how he ascended into heaven and that the Holy Spirit came down and they're sitting there, they're like, we believe. So somewhere between verse 4 and verse 5, they place their faith in Christ. In fact, the text says, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, like immediately. And being baptized in the name of the Lord is like placing yourself under the authority. It was so cool, June 3rd, to see some of our family members be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to be placed under the authority, to publicly proclaim, yes, I'm a believer. But something very, very unique happens here between verse 5 and verse 6 because they place their faith, they are baptized, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. And for some of us, that's, that's going to clue you in this is a very unique circumstance because the typical process is we believe, we place our faith, we receive the Holy Spirit, and then we are baptized, but it doesn't happen until verse 6. In fact, this is the one verse that many today use to teach what's called the second blessing or the second baptism, that when you believe you get a down payment of the Holy Spirit, but somebody with apostolic anointing needs to touch you and put their hand on you, and to anoint you with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you that is a distortion. This is a very unique, unique experience. Look at verse 6. It says, when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began doing what? Speaking in tongues and prophesying. And so what people will do will take this one verse out of context, and they'll go, so... If you were going to receive the Holy Spirit, or when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to do what to prove that you have the Holy Spirit? Speak in tongues and prophesy. These 12 men, we come to discover that there were about 12 men in all, which is kind of interesting because it's very similar to the, the number of disciples. They are educated. Paul becomes like their discipler, teaches them, reveals to them. The Holy Spirit comes in through power, but it's, it's, there's a purpose for it why the Holy Spirit comes in this particular way. In fact, in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit fell. In Samaria, the Holy Spirit came upon the Samaritans through Peter laying on of hands. In the city of Cornelius, the Holy Spirit came as Peter preached. And now Paul laying hands, the Holy Spirit comes upon them in power. The point of all this is to say this passage is not used to justify the teaching of the second blessing, but this is to show that the Holy Spirit came in power in the city of Ephesus. And in power, he came. In fact, Jesus told his disciples that it was necessary for him to go away because when he went away, the Holy Spirit would come on them in dynamic power. And they would be his witnesses. Somebody say power. Somebody say dynamic power. I will tell you that dynamic power is manifested more in us being witnesses and less than us speaking in tongues. Okay? And you want to talk about prophecy, you want to talk about the spirit of prophecy, here's your prophetic word. You want to know God's word for your life? Grow. So 
Paul then turns his attention away from this group of 12 believers, disciples them. In fact, he turns his attention to the city of Ephesus. Can anybody out there guess, just take a shot in the dark, where do you think Paul began his, his preaching ministry in the city of Ephesus? In the synagogue. That's right. Paul always to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So it says he entered into the synagogue and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading that he literally was setting out to proselytize and to persuade using every tool possible, using the scriptures, using evidence, teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God. And that's a shorthand way of saying he was telling them all the things concerning Jesus, that he is the fulfillment, that he is the savior, that he will return and usher in God's theocratic rule on planet earth. Did you know that we are literally anticipating God's kingdom on planet earth? That is why when we pray, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And we, as his kingdom representatives on earth, we are under his authority. Although his kingdom is not on earth, we operate like we are under his authority because he is our king. And so we are not just under the rule and authority of the U.S. or the Constitution, but we are under a greater authority that is the kingdom of God. Isn't that pretty cool, right? So we are under the authority of God's kingdom. And we operate that way. And so Paul's preaching, and guess what the response is? Many believe. But there was a group of people, a large group, in fact, that became hard-hearted. In fact, verse 9 tells us, some became stubborn. Any of us have the spiritual gift of stubbornness? I'm not looking. Some of you spouses are like, talking about you. Stubborn like donkey, that's what you are. Are donkeys stubborn? Are mules stubborn? I've never had a mule. I'm just taking it. I'm just trusting that statement is true. Anyway, it says when some became stubborn, in fact, that word is not just stubborn like mule. It means hard-hearted. It means sclerosis of the heart. Hardening. It says that their heart became hard, and they continued in unbelief. They stopped up their ears, and then they began to talk. Some of the loudest antagonists are those who have the hardest hearts. And I will tell you right now, one of the hardest substances on earth is the hardened heart. Nothing can break through. Okay, it's the rolling of the eyes. It's the, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm hearing this thing again. It's the, oh, I can't believe you believe that. It's the loud mouth, tight-fisted, irritated, antagonistic, but it's driven by the hard heart. The loudest mouths are those who have the hardest hearts. In fact, some of the people that I've met that are the most antagonistic towards the faith are those who grew up in it. Those who heard it over and over and over and over. And the, the more they heard it, the harder their hearts get. And I'll tell you right now, it's not, the problem's not the message. The problem's the heart. And they become so antagonistic that Paul's like, look, I'm out of here. And so he takes the disciples with him and he opens a school. He literally schools the disciples. This is so cool. Check this out. It says he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of whatever that guy's name is. Tyrannus? Tyrannosaurus Rex? Okay, so he goes to the hall of this philosopher named after this philosopher, and it was like a multi-use facility. It's kind of like this, where we have an auditorium where there's, some of you don't even realize there's basketball hoops. Have you ever seen those? Some of you are like, whoa. 
So this is a multi-use facility. Well, so was Tyrannosaurus Rex's hall. And so people would use it during the day. And so in Ephesus, it was common from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. to take like a siesta, which is pretty cool. In fact, some of you are like, wouldn't that be great? Hey, boss man, it's 11 o'clock. I'll see you at 4. Um, and so Paul would basically do his tent-making work in the morning. Then he would, he would teach classes at Tyrannosaurus Rex's house from 11 to 4 and then he would go back to tent making. But what I see, it's so incredible, is that he, for two full years, discipled the believers. This is intentional discipleship. In fact, it says this continued for two years, and look at what happened. So all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. These new believers went to class and were formally instructed and trained. And I need you to hear this. Our faith, somebody say our faith. Our faith involves dedicated and intense study. We need to study God's word. We need to be taught. We need to have not only competent but quality teaching. We need to be taught, and then we ourselves need to take the tools that we are given, and we need to teach others. The gospel went out of Ephesus not because Paul did a circuit of cities. The gospel went out because disciples were trained. They took the message out. They were discipled and trained in the scriptures. One of the largest deficiencies, as I see it, in the North American church, in the church as a whole, one of the greatest deficiencies is the development of our spiritual mind. The scriptures tell us that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our and our strength, with our vitality, with our minds. And what's crazy to me is we know more useless data than we know the scriptures. Like, for example, you all know who J-Lo's dating? You, you don't, Lester's like, I have no, A-Rod. We're up to date on what Trump just recently said or didn't say. Uh-huh. Some of you are like, I don't listen to that. We're up to date on trending gossip and news. Do you hear about that lady got eaten by a snake? You didn't hear about that? Dude, a snake. I've got a snake at home, a little corn snake, and he'd give me these little beady eyes. And I was looking at him, I was like, are you thinking of eating me? He's all... I looked at the cat. I was like, dude, we've got to take care of this guy. My cat's like, I've been waiting years. Just sits at the cage going, if that glass wasn't there. But we know about stuff that, I mean, I, I feel terrible for the lady. I should not make, that's not funny. Because I'm just, that terrifies me, the snake thing. But spiritually, what is the content and substance of our faith? Many of us are left with sound bites from sermons and songs and Christian cliche. That will not sustain us in the storm. And so often we are told to go out and share the message, but we're like, but we don't really know the content of our message, so I guess I can't share, as opposed to saying, I don't know the content of our message, so I need to be trained. For two full years they were discipled and trained. Get discipled, family. So it says not only are they discipled, but crazy power 
like the Holy Spirit started to manifest his presence in and through Paul. And please, if you hear, well, you need to hear discipleship, get discipled. If you hear something else from this message is, do not listen to the charlatans anymore because they take passages like this and they use them for their own devices and they're for their own greed. Because look at this. It said, and God, and who is, okay, God, everybody say God, was doing extraordinary. Can somebody give me a definition? What does extraordinary mean? It's not ordinary. It's extraordinary. Luke goes to great lengths to say, hey, this isn't normal. This was unique. This was an apostolic anointing on Paul. But it was God who was doing the work. It said God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that, he, that touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out. That's pretty gnarly. And so Paul, as a tent maker, would wear a handkerchief around his head. So God used a sweaty handkerchief and a dirty apron to heal people. And I'm like, dude, God, you can use anything, but it's God who does the healing. And so when I see people on TV and they're, they're waving their coats around and they're knocking people down, and I'm looking at them, I'm like, that's not real. It's a show. It's a sham. So I, I got to give you three points because I really want to drive this home. We need to remember all of this was prefaced with God was doing extraordinary things. What does extraordinary mean? Not ordinary. There you go. First thing we need to recognize, it was God performing the healings. Paul was merely the conduit. I don't know about you, but if one of my dirty handkerchiefs started healing people, I'd be like, dude, did you hear about my handkerchief? No, this is crazy. Check this out. Bam! You see that? That guy got healed of psoriasis just right away. Some, well, I don't know. That was the first thing that came to my mind. There's probably more dramatical healings out there than psoriasis. Anyway, secondly, the miracles were never just for the miracles themselves. In fact, the text tells us that not only were the sick healed, diseases leaving them, evil spirits came out of them. Look, I don't know if you've ever been possessed. If you've been ever under the influence of something evil or an evil spirit, I'll tell you that's freedom when you were liberated. Second thing, the miracles were never just for the miracles. They extended grace to those who received healing, but the true reason for the miracle was always to point people to God, and it was never to point people to Paul. Paul went out of his way. We saw it at the city of Lystra when they wanted to like worship him for healing a man that was born lame. He went out of his way to say, no, 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 it's God who did this. And third, the miracles confirm the message and the messenger. And I find it funny <laughs> that it's just a dirty handkerchief and an apron. Well, a group of guys caught wind of this. And they're like, wow, Paul's getting quite a following. Not realizing that Paul wasn't preaching Paul. Paul was preaching Jesus. But these guys were like, we want a following like that too? One of my favorite stories ever in the scripture we're about to jump into don't, operate in a, don't try to operate in an anointing you don't have. I just want to say that. Like, um, for example, I've, I've heard guys who are dating a girl, and they'll like, well, she has to submit to me. And I'm like, no, she doesn't. You have no authority. You have not committed your life to her as a husband. You have no authority over that. You have no authority over that home. Or the woman will be like, well, he's supposed to do this for me. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa but you're not married yet. Um, 
again, the people that are waving around aprons and stuff and beating people and, and setting them free of all these demonic, they, they don't have any authority. So these sons of Sceva, look at this. Then some itinerant Jewish exorcist undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. And so there were these itinerant exorcists that would travel around, and for money, they would cast out demons. And this is what they decided to use as their magical incantation. I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Not the Jesus they know, but I adjure you by the Jesus Paul proclaims. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. We have no idea who Sceva was. And there's no record of him being high priest. I think it was a high liar. So Sceva, fake high priest, and his kids were out trying to cast out demons. And I love how the evil spirit responds. Because in my mind, I get this image of like the exorcist, and there's that pearl, you know, and, and it, that vomit. That's just all the wrong color, and, and they've got the crucifix, and they've got the holy water. That's all Hollywood, by the way. God, he was healing with handkerchiefs and stuff. Like, when God does a healing, he does a healing anyway by prayer and power. Anyway, um, they come in, and there's this demon-possessed guy, and they're like, I adjure you, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? <laughs> That's so cool. In fact, it breaks down. Jesus, I know, gnosko is the Greek word. The reality is the demons know who Jesus is. Jesus, in fact, James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe. They know God exists. And then the demon was like, and I'm familiar with Paul. In fact, he's doing a lot of damage to our cause lately with all this preaching of his. But you have no covering. You have no spiritual anointing. You have no power. In fact, they are about to be taught a very painful and humiliating lesson, all seven of them are taken to school. Look at verse 17. It says, or verse 16, And the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them. And so this, is, this kind of has this image of, of one guy basically kicking the butt of seven guys, and they're like trying to get away, but he would like reach out, grab them, pull them back in, and keep throttling them until they were fleeing the house naked and wounded. And I look at this, and I'm like, those guys got a really rough lesson. And they were really humbled. And what's fascinating is this demonic, this demon-filled guy had, like, superhuman strength. And it kind of reminds me of the guy by the name of Legion in Mark 5 who was, like, wrenching apart his, his wrists or the, the chains that he was being bound with. And this guy kicks the butt of seven guys. And the news spreads. And the news spreads because they realize that Paul is preaching a real message of power. In fact, the text tells us this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And what does it say fell upon them? Why do you think fear fell upon them? What's that? Because there's real power. Ephesus was full of temples and idols and false magic, and they came to realize it was all a sham. In fact, it says the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. That means his name was exalted and glorified and magnified, and all people were drawn to him. Family, when you lift up the name of Jesus, all people will be drawn unto him. In fact, the scripture said also those who were now believers came, and they were confessing and divulging their practices. That, that means that the spiritual awakening had so fallen on Ephesus that they were taking what was in the private and they were bringing it into the light, into the public. 
And some of us need to realize that that's one of the major steps in our spiritual growth and our spiritual life. The hidden stuff in the darkness needs to be brought to the light. And it says that they, they were divulging their practices, and a number of those who practiced magic arts, they brought their books together, they burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value, and it, found it, it came out to 50,000 pieces of silver. This was a multi-million dollar bonfire. And they were like, we're not going to live in bondage anymore. We're going to walk in freedom. And we're going to take what's hidden in the darkness and we're going to bring it to the light. And it says that they were continually coming. They were continually confessing. And I think this same response should be found in our spirit of confession and repentance. Where we confess what's hidden in the darkness. Like, for example, instead of, instead of just like toying with it, we destroy the devices we look at porn on. Just destroy them. Pouring out the liquor. Whatever it is, that idol, that bondage. How about cutting up the credit cards that we can't stop using? And we keep trying to find satisfaction in them. How about throwing out the magazines that keep reminding us that we're not pretty enough, not smart enough, not rich enough? Destroying the movies and the music that get in the way of our relationship with God. Giving up the season passes. I know some of you are like, hey, step off, fool. You don't get it. We're in Texas. It's, it's sports, God, well, God, and sports. Sometimes our sports fanaticism gets in the way. And sometimes we've got to give that stuff up because it gets in the way of our relationship. It's an idol. How about academic and philosophical books of false teaching? Some of us are holding on to philosophies that are contrary to God's teaching. In fact, Paul got to the point in his life where he said everything compared to Christ, everything he had accomplished, everything he had acquired was nothing but what? Y'all remember that word? Scubala. And some of you are like, what does that mean? We'll just put it with happens. Scubala happens and you can kind of piece it together. But everything compared to Christ is scubala. And I'm like, Lord Jesus, give me the eyes to see that. That my idols are trash. My accomplishments in comparison to Christ are rubbish. And they were confessing before everyone. It was being brought into the light. God moves in power. And in verse 20, it says, The word of the Lord continued to increase. It continued to prevail. And we were reminded throughout the book of Acts, nothing could stop the work of God. And today, God's word prevails. God's word, it goes out. And we ourselves are a part of that movement and this really does set the stage for next week because of this multi-million dollar bonfire. When the gospel gets in the way of profit, listen to this, when the gospel gets in the way of profit, those who profit will always have a problem. And we're going to see that next week. But let me close with a few applications. Uh, the first that comes to mind uh, directly from the text is we need to get schooled with truth. There are many today who are operating with only part of the message. Like, for example, the 12 disciples who were operating under John's baptism, but they knew nothing of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. They knew nothing of the arrival of the Holy Spirit. They had to get schooled in truth, and then they came to life. And there are so many today that don't actually know the substance of what they say they believe. In fact, I was flying to Arizona. I was sitting next to a guy, and I struck up a conversation with him about Jesus because that makes everybody comfortable. And so I'm sitting next to him, and I'm like, so tell me, what, what do you believe about God and Jesus and all that? And he goes, well, I believe God loves me. I said, whoa, that's pretty radical because God does love you, but why do you believe that? He's all, I don't know, I just do. I was like, what's the content? Where did you get that message? Well, I grew up Catholic. 
And I was like, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? He's like, well, you know, I went to Mass. And I was like, I did too. I, I don't remember feeling very loved there, but can you go on? Like, tell me more. Like, what's the substance? And you know what? He had no substance to that. He didn't know. And I was like, you know, the reason why I believe God loves me is because the Bible tells me that I am by nature rebellious. And I've said this before. We don't actually have to work at this part. Like, we all naturally are rebellious. Like, I don't have to wake up and go, you know, <laughs> I really want to be a rebel today. Like, I don't know. How can I be rebellious? No, it comes naturally. By posture, we're just turned away from God. We're hiding. God sent his son for the rebels. He crushed his son so that the rebels could be set free and the rebels could be made children of God. And I was telling him that that father sent his son to die on the cross. He was crushed. He was buried. And he rose from the dead. I was like, that's the substance of the love I believe that I have in, in Christ. And, and I was like, dude, God does love you. And he's like, well, that's nice. And he put his earbuds back in, and, and that was it. And, and I realized that for some of us, you've heard the gospel so many times, but nothing's going to break through that sclerosis of the heart. It's still the truth. You are loved. So much so that God sent his son to die for you. And some of us need to be schooled in that and taught the truth and receive it. Secondly, we need to get schooled in discipleship. This is probably one of the great deficiencies in the local church. In fact, some would describe the local church, large churches as, as a mile wide but an, an inch deep. Every day from 11 to 4, the believers in Christ would gather for formal teaching and discipleship in the city of Ephesus. We need to gather for formal discipleship and training. We need to get together and we need to get trained. We need quality teaching and we need those who are taught. And I will tell you right now that in our men's ministry, our women's ministry, our Sunday morning gathering, our foundations classes that will, that will start again in the fall, you're going to get quality teaching. You're going to get trained. You're going to be given the tools, the same tools that I have. Did you know that I was given tools, and I can airdrop into any place in the Bible, and I can quickly get my bearings, and I can start to eat. I can feed myself. A disciple believer can feed himself. You know, as a, as a little one, when my little boy, uh, boys were little, they all had to be fed. And that was a difficult process. I don't know if you've ever tried to feed a child that doesn't want to eat. It, it's, it's a beating. Um, and they sit there in their mouths, and they make this face, and everything you put in them, they just don't like it unless it's ice cream. Then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, they, don't, they know how to eat. But you're sitting there, and you're trying to feed. And that's what it's like with some Christians. You're sitting there, and they're, But there's a point in our Christian life where we have to go from being spoon-fed to feeding ourselves. we got to get schooled. you got to get trained. And, and I'm telling you right now, we're going to give you the tools so you can literally do what I'm doing. There's nothing magical about being able to study and exposit the Word of God and be able to teach it to somebody else. You can be trained on how to do that. <laughs> Blah. Pastor Chris just strawberried me. Okay, so get trained. And as we grow in Christ, we should grow in our spiritual lives. And then finally, getting schooled. Anytime we attempt to operate in an anointing we do not possess, we're going to get schooled. I absolutely hate, uh, abhor. Uh, it, it makes me so uh, really angry when I see the garbage on television. 
and I see these people saying they're operating in the spirit of the apostles, and they're, they're beating people with towels, and people are falling over. I'm hearing of churches where there's gold dusting, where gold just like starts falling, and people are like, it's the manifestation of God. And I'm like, you think, you think that God is going to manifest himself before a bunch of greedy Americans with gold? Like, think about that for a moment. One of our greatest idols is money. God is not, okay, so really what he would, dirt, maybe dirt, okay? He might drop some dirt on us to realize that we need to get closer to dirt and humble ourselves and bend our knee before him and honor him as Lord. But I pray there's a day when that stuff ends and we can just get back to studying God's word growing in the faith and sharing the gospel with the world that's lost and dying and going to hell. Amen? All right. And then finally, just get schooled by his love. On my flight back, there was a, uh, a lady, well, a couple ladies sitting next to me, and uh, one of the ladies was terrified of flying, and I was like, oh, dude, it's so cool. We're like Koinonia right here. Like, I'm with you right now. Like, every bump, I was like, oh, we're going down, right? Like, you see the stewardess over there? She's on the phone. Like, they're giving us drinks to keep us calm because they know. It's like the Titanic. So I'm tripping a little bit. And um, I, as I'm sitting there, I, I pull up my Bible because <laughs> I'm like, dude, Lord, your, your love stretches to the heavens. And I'm in the heavens right now, so tell me your love stretches up this high. Like 30,000 feet, your love's here too, right? And I turn to the lady and I go, hey, I don't know if this might help you. Uh, do you, you want to hold my, I don't know, hold the Bible, we pray together. And the lady turns to me and she goes, oh, no, I already talked to the guy upstairs. And I was like, who's the guy upstairs? Like, does he live upstairs at your house? Like, who is this guy? And she's like, oh, you know, the guy upstairs. I was like, I'm sorry, I don't know that guy. Tell me more. And, and then she began to describe to me all the reasons why she doesn't believe anything in the Bible. And then she told me, well, I'm gay. And this is my partner, in fact, my wife. And she just waited. And I was like, what do you expect me to do now? She's all, I went to Ted Haggard's church. And he used to bash homosexuality. And then he was found to be with a male prostitute. And you're about to do the same thing. And I was like, whoa. Let me just lavish you in the God's love. And so I got to school, this, this couple of gals, and the true lavish love of God on the way home. And one of the ladies goes, you know what? I think I'd like to visit your church. And I was like, you know what would happen if you came? She's like, what? I was like, you just get loved on, lady. Get schooled in his love. Amen? You are loved. Well, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your grace, your goodness. We've covered a lot of territory, uh, and you've kept us attentive. I pray that we are prepared to offer a true defense when somebody starts to tell us we don't have you as our, our Savior, we don't have you, Holy Spirit, in us because we haven't spoken in tongues or, or done some miraculous thing. Holy Spirit, bring in us a, a heart and a passion more for you, more for holiness, more, more, more of you so that we desire and hunger and thirst more for your word and have a greater intimacy with you. If you are here today, you do not know Jesus. I'm telling you right now, he died for you. And you may have heard this message so many times, and you may be sitting there rolling your eyes right now. But listen, you are loved. So much so that God sent his son to die for you. 
you are by nature rebellious, and you have turned your way, turned away from God, and he is inviting you into salvation and to life. And the Bible says all that you must do is believe and trust in him that he died for you and your sins, that he was buried and he rose from the dead. Friend, he is alive right now. Jesus is alive. And he's waiting to hear your voice say, Lord Jesus, I believe. And so if today you need Jesus as your Savior or you need just to turn back to him, tell him in your heart, Lord Jesus, I believe. Draw me into yourself. I trust that you died for me. And the Bible declares that is your heart's prayer. You just pass from death to life. Holy Spirit, move in us. Make us crave discipleship. Make us hungry for it. Make us authentic and real that we can bring our, our hidden stuff to the light. We don't have to live in bondage anymore. Break the chains. Lord Jesus, we love you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, family, let's stand together. You have done marvelous. Let's do some more VBS moves. Some of you, I'm not doing that. Some of you are like, I can't do that. <laughs> and it's time for us to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. To meet again, same time, same place next week. And family, do not forget, you are loved. Now go tell the world, go proclaim to the world that they are too, and let's get ready for VBS.